Hey guys, so we went through a pretty heavy topic today, but one that's so important and affecting so many people. Uh, I mean, Sonia and I both get a chance to, to work with people moving through um, this frequency of addiction, this, this reality that really shows up in, in our lives. And what we did today was sort of expand uh, outside of just the habit uh, of addiction and really start to look at things through the lens of hormones and head trauma and fight or flight states to your microbiome. Yeah, and we specifically spoke to food addiction today, and this is something I think everyone can resonate with because we all have a unique relationship with food. So we really dive into all the different layers that could be contributing to that relationship just to kind of seed some inquiry for all of you so that you can start to reflect on what meaning you've given that relationship, what you're focusing on, and how you can really shift that and go back into that driver's seat again. Yeah, so stay tuned for the conversation and please share uh, maybe some of the challenges you've been through mm-hmm. uh, and share this with people that you know that are really struggling and, and and maybe need to step in a little more freedom by seeing things from a broader point of view. Uh, that's what we uh, deliver in this episode. So again, please share. Thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with Dr. Sonia Jensen and myself. How are you today? I'm good. Good. Um, today's conversation is can be a challenging one. We're gonna we're gonna dive into a, a little bit of Sonia's history, and um, but we want to sort of lay a foundation of, I think, just appreciating where people get stuck with their food. Mm-hmm. And today's conversation is really around some of the heaviness that happens with regards to you know the food choices we make. And, um, and sort of how we snowball into reality where it seems like we've lost our control mm-hmm. and food has really overpowered our, our body, our mind. Um, we start to really dislike ourselves. Maybe we dislike food, we're afraid of food. And this whole idea of food addiction and relationship to food that is such a pivotally important one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you guys have heard me say often that how we digest food is a reflection of how we digest life. And that really is also reflective of the choices that we're making um, with food and the actions that we're taking and whether we're actually choosing foods that are nourishing our body and our mind or depleting our body and mind. And that's often um, as a result of all the various things that we're going to be talking about today, whether it's trauma or your biology or your microbiome and all these different elements that will then shape your belief around your choices. And then that will shape your actual choices and then how you feel after. So it's it's this cycle that we kind of get stuck in. So hopefully today with our conversation, it'll give you some insights or aha moments about your own relationship with food so that you can start um, bringing some tools into your life that will help you step into that space of reflection so we don't get so caught up and then we can then enjoy food and we can really understand that it is medicine for the body. Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful to even sort of frame this discussion so maybe something that you guys can sort of tune into for yourself 
uh, Tony Robbins has three questions. Mm-hmm. And so the, the core three questions that, that drive a lot of our behavior. Um, and, and so maybe while we're kind of communicating some of Sonia's story and the different lenses through which one can look at food addiction, um, maybe have a little, maybe even write down these questions, again, these from Tony Robbins, but they may help to give you a little bit of framework for how we get to where we, where we get to. So the first one is what is it that you focus on? So that's question one. <clears throat> maybe you're focusing on uh, food is pain or um, I feel out of control or, you know, whatever it is. That, can you think of some things where maybe people focus on with regards to food? Um, well, probably body image. Right. Um, like what does my body look like? That might be a focus. Um, what does the world want from me might be a focus. So what other people think or trying to fit into a certain box. Um, yeah, just any belief that's driving your action around food would be something that we're focus on. focusing on. Okay. So that's the first question. Uh, what am I focusing on? Number two is what meaning am I giving to that focus? Mm-hmm. So let's go through some examples of, of meaning making of our focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that meaning would probably be the um, what we're getting from it, right? So if the focus is I need comfort from this food, so then the, the meaning would be that I'm now feeling better um, if I have that food and whatever that choice may be. So it's like, how do, what are we gaining from that focus? Um, if the focus is body image, so maybe our clothes are fitting a certain way, or, you know, if we're looking in the mirror and we're seeing that we're thinner than before, like all the things that the result is kind of like the meaning. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe even like uh, outward experience of love, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe, when I eat a certain way, I can look a certain way and then I will receive love. Mm-hmm. So like we're a sense of worthiness mm-hmm. as a result of the food choices. And then the flip side of that would be a, an incredible amount of shame. So yeah. when I do this, the, the meaning that I create inside of my nervous system, my hormones and everything else is that I'm, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, and I know like these may feel like some heavy things, but yeah. they're, they're super important. Right. So, you know, take some time to just reflect on it. So the first one was, what do you focus on? What is that meaning that you're deriving from that focus? And then the third one is, what are you doing about it? Mm-hmm. And so what is sort of the action step that one is taking as a result of uh, the question one and question mm-hmm. two? Yeah. So another example of that uh, for maybe the moms out there that are listening or women, uh, when we nurture others, we often do the nurturing with food. And sometimes we're receiving significance from that role of depleting our own self. So these are for the moms that are eating the scraps off of your Hmm. kids' um, plates and not maybe nourishing yourself. So that significance that we're receiving because we're sacrificing ourselves. So that that might be something to just reflect on. Um, wh- why am I choosing the action that I'm choosing? What am I gaining from it? And then because that's going to then tell your brain that, well, it's working, it's getting validated. So I'm going to continue this cycle of depletion. Mm-hmm. And then that builds resentment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, obviously a mom will do whatever they can or a father for their children and and at the same time, there may be some resentment there mm-hmm. that builds up over time. Okay. So, so that, that's just a way, I think, a really helpful way to sort of frame our behaviors. Now we're going to sort of like dive into Sonia's story a little bit and, and her sort of working through uh, her sort of childhood trauma that, that developed into a bit of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. 
Where do you want me to start? It's a yeah. big question. <laughs> so I think um, the okay. Let me let me say this. I think the importance of sharing this is is that one people can relate to a story like this. Mm -hmm. It can be a way to understand how we move into that decision making process. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Sonia is not going to go into incredible amount of detail on it, but just sort of a behavior that developed mm -hmm. that she was gaining some sort of meaning from. It's mm -hmm. sort of like taking us through that experience of mm -hmm. if you, what you were focusing on, how you gave that meaning and then the action steps. Yeah. yeah. Well, I grew up in a culture where food is really important. It's how we show um, abundance. It's also how we show how we, how much we care. And so like everything is centered around food and making sure you have enough to feed everybody. Right. And so that comes from a real beautiful place. And what happened for me because of the different traumas that I went through and the challenges that I went through kind of tiptoeing between two different cultures and, you know, some other traumas that maybe some of you have already read about in my book around the age, um, I would say 13, when I really felt um, out of control in my life, that I had zero control in what I could do, what I could wear, who I could be with, what I could be, who I could be all the various things. And it just turned into this subconscious behavior that the only thing that I could control was what I ate and my body. So slowly what started to happen for me is I just stopped eating. So I wouldn't eat breakfast. I wouldn't take lunch to school. Um, so I would come home and then maybe chow down on like a muffin and then I'd be full and have a little bit of dinner. And that kind of started happening over time. And, you know, you could, people around me could kind of see that I wasn't behaving the way I normally would because I did have a real love for food. And slowly that went on, I would say, for two years. And I really started to lose a lot of weight. And that first year, um, it wasn't until I actually fainted at school where there was some... Um, what's that called intervention. And so then I was put into a group where there were other kids in that school, um, mostly women, young girls, and we would get together once a week and talk about the various different relationships with food. And what I started to reflect on afterwards, when I started to shift my relationship with food is what that gave me was a sense of belonging because I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere because I was going through so much turmoil. And now my hormones were changing at that time. I was feeling out of control. I was feeling like I, this is the only thing that I could actually sink my teeth into. And I also feel like I used it as a punishment towards my parents because they could see that I was suffering, but had no idea what to do about it. And so it was really for me, a cry for help. And when I started going to those groups and seeing that others were also going through their own experience, I started to really feel connected. So I also think that when you step into that kind of identity um, and we step into these groups where we're trying to support each other, it kind of turns into this um, community, which is really necessary and can also be challenging to come out of because now you finally find this place that you belong. You finally found this identity that really helps help you feel connected to yourself and to other people and they and they understand you whereas nobody else was really understanding how you felt so it really for me um sorry i'm losing my words because i'm going back to that time it was really a moment where i recognized that this is my body and what i'm doing is actually not working i wasn't getting the results that i wanted from my parents or from my family so i really had to step into this space of 
knowing that um, what I'm doing is not working for my body and I'm actually punishing myself. And the moment I had that mindset shift, everything changed for me. My relationship to my body started to change. That's when I started to exercise, but then ate healthier food. Mm -hmm. So then started to see this other result of like feeling more energetic and having this energy because, you know, my grades were going down, like everything was going down and even my relationship. So I really understood that this was not nourishing me in any, any way. And luckily for me, I was able to shift that was really just a decision. And then it was, it was over for me, but I know for many, it takes years and years to like unpack the reason why, and also to release that identity that we have created. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such a powerful, powerful story. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't help but think that, you know, when you're going through that journey and really feeling some level of control over your parents, Mm -hmm. because ultimately like you discovered that you could, you know, affect their mood and Mm -hmm. and hurt them essentially. Mm through withholding food from your body and and then that that gave you sort of a sense of uh a sense of purpose Mm -hmm. to to support you in that journey and then at some point you had this awakening and recognized that 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 so much of that punishment was turning inwards Mm -hmm. and then you developed a new sense of strength and vitality because you started to take care of yourself exercise move your body eat good food and you realized that you were so much more than uh you know than than just trying to you know hurt your parents like mm-hmm. you, you realize that there was more to you than that now i can't help but think that you know your story may be a bit unique in that you've sort of moved through it in a relatively you know relatively speaking some people are stuck in this pattern for decades mm-hmm. so relatively speaking a quick period of time yeah. however it was tremendously painful no yeah doubt. and i would say what I transferred that energy to is also then working out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I look back, yes, it was a decision, but then I kind of went the other direction. So I couldn't go without working out. And mm-hmm. that became my addiction in some ways. And so what, what happened with letting go of that one identity, I created a new one that was healthier. However, my attachment to it was that if without that, I didn't feel good. So I needed that every day in order to feel like myself, in order to feel acceptance and love and all these things. So, Mm. you know, it still was a journey even afterwards to recognize that, okay, where is the balance in this where I'm not being controlled by something outside of me? And so that I feel like has taken years. And even now, like we teach on fasting and every time I fast, I have to ask myself, what is my intention behind mm-hmm. this fast? Is it, am I stepping back into that place of feeling a certain way when I didn't eat food? Cause it was, it's easy for me to not eat food. I mean, Nick might have a different opinion because my mood probably changes <laughs> when it's not Angry intentional. Sometimes um, <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think when you have that kind of relationship with anything, um, especially food, it's a lifelong um, journey. Cause you're always, going to question is my subconscious stepping up now and in the driver's seat or I'm actually moving towards um, using my intention in nourishing myself yeah no it's that's it's so important to, to recognize that and and as you're describing things it, it really seemed like you know you graduate from one of this isolation like it's it's me it's my like I'm alone mm-hmm. and then you r- developed a community and then that gave you some buoyancy to move into the next level so really like I see you sort of unpacking layers or like peeling the layers of the onion and and as you move through one stage you recognize 
not the irrelevance, but basically the graduation into something new. And then, and then, you know, so I think for wherever people are at with their journey, and maybe people are still stuck in that isolation phase, Mm -hmm. you know, wherever you are, just know that there is a process. It's going to be obviously a little bit different for each person, but there's complexity to it. And so really that brings us to the next conversation is that you can look at this process through so many different lenses, Mm -hmm. right? You can look at through like Sonia shared brilliantly, just that emotional trauma, Um, which is an important one. But what we want to speak to you and maybe bring into your consciousness is that there's many different lenses. And so there's many different ways out of this and or into this so that you can, you know, move through it. Uh, So let's talk about what we just mentioned. So the emotional trauma, that's one lens, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's a big one for many because we use food for many different reasons. So we spoke about how it being, you know, a big part of my culture, it's a big part of like most cultures, right? It's what brings people together and it, it creates that sense of belonging and community. And there's something that we're doing together. So there's a real celebration around food. And if somebody is feeling isolated or somebody is feeling like, they're um, lonely, then food brings them back to those memories. It brings them into that space of comfort when there's a challenge that shows up. And we want that memory of, you know, your grandma, maybe that comforted you with chocolate cake or whatever it was that jam she made. Toast, jam bread. For me, it was jam bread, you know, for Nick is chocolate chips in his cereal. cereal right? yeah. <laughs> so we can have these moments or these memories that we really want to bring into our reality in that challenging moment. So then we step into that space of satisfying that taste sense by choosing those foods but then we also get stuck in that cycle that we need that in order to feel okay so that's one big piece the other piece is just the change in our biochemistry or bio in our brain when we go through trauma we're stuck in that fight or flight state and we're stuck in this state where we're really um, navigating life through our emotional center, our emotional body, instead of the prefrontal cortex that can discern, you know, what's actually going on. So then if something, a trigger shows up in our life, we're going to step back into that emotional body and recognize, oh, I felt this before. So how can I distract myself from feeling this? And then again, often we will use food to help satisfy that, that craving to want to feel different and want to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such, it's such a big one. And mm-hmm. I think, the reason why we want to broaden the conversation, you know, we're not going to spend a tremendous amount of time in each one, but just highlight each one because there, there are ways where you can sort of dip your toe in and look at things through that lens and, and appreciate things there. And then, and then you can dip your toe into something else. So it gives you more faculty or resources because often with food addiction, it feels like it's only one thing because it's, it's the one thing that we know. And it's the one thing that we pacify our emotions with is the food. And so that we can, there can be a little bit more self-punishment when it just becomes a behavioral thing that we need to fix. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's more than that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it really is stuck in that subconscious, you know, some women that I work with that maybe have had like sexual trauma and have gained a lot of weight and, you know, they, they know they're stuck in a loop and it's this recognition that your body is doing whatever it can to help you survive and feel safe. So they've created layers of safety in their body, or they've changed the way they look because of the way they looked before brought in their minds, brought on that pain. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the brain and the body, it's miraculous in its way that it's always trying to protect you. So even in these other lenses that we move through, just like having that in the back of your mind, it's like your body keeps adjusting to help serve you. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So now let's talk about things through the lens of the microbiome and just how food choice can affect that which affects our behavior. Yeah. 
Okay, so <laughs> I'll start. Uh, so we all grew up, you know, wherever we did, we all grew up with parents that did their absolute best to feed us in the most, you know, best way that they could. And for some that meant like Twinkies and Ding Dongs and like all the snack food, you know, the Pop-Tarts, uh, Cheerios, you know, all the things that, that you know, I, actually we grew up with. Um, that became part of your microbiome. So your microbiome is constantly adapting to the food choices that we, that we create. Obviously when we're kids, we just do the best we can because we're just eating whatever mom and dad give us or and whoever the caretaker going is. Before that, I would step into like, what was your birth story, mm. right? So yeah. if you were born by a C-section, your microbiome is going to be very different. It's going to be more related to the skin microbiome in the hospital. Right versus if you were born through the vaginal canal, your microbiome, microbiome, your microbiome is going to be set up in a very different way. Yeah. So that will also determine. And then if you were breastfed, um, it's a different makeup of microbiome versus if you were formula fed. So really kind of going back and understanding what your foundation is, then stepping into the space of like, look at what, you know, when was food introduced? When we were young, mothers were told that, you know, at two, at three months, you can start giving oatmeal in the, in the bottles. And yet the digestive system hasn't matured and doesn't mature until about six months. So things have now changed because our understanding has changed, but really the foundation is what creates the foundation for your microbiome and what bacteria are active and which ones are dormant. Yeah. So such an important conversation. So, so there's that, there's what we've been fed. And then we grow up and we start making our own food choices and we we're feeding, we're constantly feeding our gut microbiome to a certain capacity then enter like medications enter into, you know, different things that are massive disruptors for the microbiome. So that could be antibiotics, it could be birth control pills, it could be mm -hmm. pain medication. Um, it could be a lot of things that we don't really, you know, relate directly to causing massive disruption in our microbes, which then leads to a different population of these critters that are growing that then speak to us with demands. Mm -hmm. And it could be higher, you know, sugar content. Uh, maybe we're having more uh, food preservatives or some of the trans fats that are keeping us in an inflammatory state or the packaged foods or, you know, TV dinners or whatever that story is. We're constantly forcing a change in our microbiome. And then you know, that's having a tremendous impact on our food choices mm -hmm. as a result of the critters. Yeah, if you really think about it, you're feeding the critters, not yeah. yourself right? So which critters are you feeding? And the body likes familiarity. So it wants the same um, critters fed. So those critters will give your brain signals that, hey, I'm the bacteria for sugar. So make sure you feed me that sugar because I need fuel to survive. So your body will do whatever, or the bacteria will do whatever it can to survive and overpower some of the other bacteria that are trying to help us. Yeah. And the most common, like what we do, we run a lot of stool tests, we find out that many people have deficiencies in how their body's breaking down food. So enzymes are low, uh, inflammatory markers could be high, uh, but also certain food items like butyric acid and the short chain fatty acids are massively missing in a standard American diet. And so we don't, we're not even giving our body the right uh, fuel to feed the right microbes, which then have play a profound role on our mood. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that gut brain connection. So, yeah. you know, many of you probably heard of the term serotonin, that is that neurotransmitter that helps us feel calm. So that turkey effect, right? Turkey has tryptophan, which converts into serotonin. So you feel sleepy after because your nervous system gets to rest. And when we're feeding the wrong bacteria, we're not getting that same response 
um, from the gut to the brain that helps us feel relaxed. If anything, it, it makes us feel more agitated. So now it's affecting our mood, it's affecting our hormones, it's affecting how we're relating to ourselves and how we feel it in our body after we've eaten certain food. And then that's going to translate out into how we're responding to our relationships and to other people. Yeah. So that's a big one. I mean, we keep talking about that one, but yeah. hopefully you guys get the, the idea that, you know, Sonia mentioned before, when we're eating, we're actually feeding our microbes. Mm -hmm. So how well we feed them is going to determine how well our neurotransmitters operate, that gut brain connection, as Sonia mentioned, and whatever's there, whatever population is winning, they're going to be the ones speaking to us, getting us to mm -hmm. consume the foods that, that helps them mm -hmm. thrive. So what, what's one best way to do that? Do what? Feed. All oh, the bacteria. feed the healthy microbes. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest ones is, is being aware of a few different concepts. One is food sensitivities. So what's causing inflammation in our gut? Two is, are we using any prebiotic fuel? Because it's actually the carbohydrates for the most part that are really feeding our gut microbes. So the kinds of carbohydrates, are you using fibers and chias and hemp's and short chain fatty acid containing foods like the mushrooms and other things like that? those are really beneficial for our gut microbes. Um, so looking at food sensitivities, looking at the prebiotics, uh, looking at carbohydrates in general as the main fuel source for these microbes. Uh, and then obviously the, the healthy fats too, mm. obviously plays a big role yeah. there too. And another big one is variation. Mm -hmm. So with the standard American diet and some of the things that Nick listed off before, the Twinkies, the Ding Dong, all, all the things, like we get into a rhythm in how we're eating. So in order to get us out of a cycle, we need to shift what it is that we're eating, even if it's painful in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So bringing in more color into your diet can be like the game changer in what you're feeding. Yeah. So lots of different vegetables and fruits and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So another one that often goes hidden is head trauma, mm -hmm. right? So actual physical injuries that then start to affect that. So as you mentioned, the fight or flight center, we're more likely, especially post-concussion. I mean, people really feel... A, are extremely challenged. I mean, you've had a few concussions that you can speak to, mm -hmm. but that has a huge effect on the state of our nervous system or neurology in our brain, which then we're constantly looking for ways to just pacify that stress response. And so typically with head injuries, we're going to look for quick fuel, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that kind of head injury, there's inflammation in the brain. So then the messaging that the brain is receiving is so important. And also what it's like, giving to the gut is also going to be important because if we're in that inflammatory state, we're shutting down a lot of the enzymes, we're shutting down the things that help break food down and we're not really getting that nourishment that we need. Yeah. And then, you know, as we grow up, you know, often we want to subdue the discomfort we feel with a head injury, you know, let's say it's concussion often it's alcohol or it's other things that just try to get us out of the state that we're in. And it could be pain medication or other things. Right. So profound uh, effects on our behavior as a result of inflammation in the brain, mm -hmm. right? Our mood, our food choices, so much of that has been driven by brain inflammation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next one is we talked a little bit about, about the medications, uh, but do you want to speak a little bit to birth control pill? Cause mm -hmm. I know that's obviously hormones are a big part of what mm -hmm. you talk about. Yeah. So, you know, if you've been on the pill before, you probably have had that experience for some women, they actually end up gaining weight afterwards. So there's water retention that happens for sure. And there's also just a change again in your biochemistry and your levels of estrogen and progesterone. So estrogen is like the, um, 
fertilizer for the brain. It increases the dendrites, which then increase communication in the neurons. So it actually helps us feel really good and motivated. And progesterone is the one that's anti-inflammatory and helps us feel at ease and lowers anxiety. So it's really feeding those neurotransmitters like serotonin and GABA. So without that effect, when we're doing synthetic hormones, we're not getting that same effect cyclically throughout the month, it kind of creates a numbness. So the signaling kind of shuts down between the gut and the, the brain. The other piece is going back to that microbiome connection when we're not feeding or we don't have a variation, we're not feeding the estrobolum, which is a very specific set of bacteria that helps support breakdown of excess estrogens from the environment. So now if we're getting these um, excess estrogens from our birth control pill, we're not breaking them down, we're not circulating them out, we're now bringing them back into the system, which then also creates a bit of a fog in the brain. And it also creates this, um, you know, this change in habits, because we're trying to pacify this feeling now, because now we're feeling that dullness, or we're not feeling motivated anymore, we're feeling a lack of energy. And this isn't everybody's experience, depending on like what your biochemistry needs when it comes to hormones. But most people will go through this because the birth control will also deplete your body of magnesium, B vitamins, zinc, all these elements mm -hmm. that we need to support digestion to support communication to support your mood as well. Yeah. And when, when we're speaking on these things, there's obviously there's so much more that one could say yeah. about these different topics. And I, I see you really trying to like, like simplify narrow and narrow it down mm -hmm. because but, but in, in saying that, I mean, the reason I say that is just because again, if we look back, if we look at back at this term food addiction, there's so many factors that play mm -hmm. a role in a myriad of different ways. And so the idea is to just you know, not complicate things, but just take some of the pressure off the gas of like, I'm a bad person. I, I've got this bad habit that I can't unwind. And how can we sort of like spread that out a little bit so we can look from different angles mm -hmm. and so we can recognize that all those little different angles could be impacting a decision in a moment, mm -hmm. right? Or they do, they absolutely do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, birth control pill medications and some of the, the gut brain connection, really we're talking about hormones in general, yeah. hormones, are, are really these messengers that are adapting to the environment. So if we're stuck in a state of fight or flight, stress response, our natural rehabilitation, supportive repair hormones aren't going to be activated when we stuck more in a cortisol, a higher, maybe even a higher insulin state, which is massively going to affect our, our behaviors. And then that's going to play a role in neurotransmitters as well. So hormone imbalance as a result of our food choices, um, you know, the stressors, uh, our microbiome, uh, hormones are constantly adapting to our environment. So they're playing a significant role in this process as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming we're going to leave it there. Yeah. From, from, because we could yeah. go so deep into this conversation. So <laughs> totally. I think we should leave it there. Yeah. And then the last one is neurotransmitters. You know, Sonia mentioned um, GABA and she mentioned serotonin, uh, dopamine. We see a lot of these different neurotransmitters actually play a big role on, um, on food, on choices in general, like how, how we're making meaning of things really plays a role in our, in our energy and our ability to conduct, you know, thought and brain function. Mm -hmm. And when our body is digestively inflamed and we're not having regular bowel movements and things aren't moving properly through the GI tract, uh, our resources for our neurotransmitters are going to be busier trying to deal with the inflammation as opposed to really supporting cognition and motivation and all those other things. Discernment. Discernment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the big one that affects that also is your sleep patterns. Yeah. 
So if you're not sleeping well, there's going to be a change in your circadian rhythm. So cortisol again will go up and then often insulin will go up with cortisol. So the body is again, reutilizing that um, the sugar, your blood sugar, which will then also create more cravings for you. So the lower the melatonin, the higher risk we have for cravings because of that component. And then there's also um, just the progesterone piece that we talked about before. And then maybe you can talk about leptin and ghrelin that change depending on your sleep cycle. Yeah, definitely. The circadian rhythm is huge. You know, our body's not really meant to be breaking food down at nighttime. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sonia and I have our tea time at night, which is, you know, it's not metabolically um, disruptive. It's not a, a huge complicated thing to break down. It's really more healthy fats in a, in a tea at night. Um, but we wouldn't be wanting to eat a big meal at night because that's going to interfere with our melatonin secretion. But again, our body's not wanting to digest food at night. So just people eating late, shift work, going to bed too late. There's many different uh, ways that we disrupt our circadian rhythm, which then we are constantly playing catch up. Mm -hmm. And so our cortisol rhythms or stress hormone that's trying to wake us up in the morning, maybe has a delayed response or it's not you know, firing the way it needs to. And then we're getting late night stress as a result of the shift in the circadian rhythm. So, so essentially cortisol shooting higher in the evening when it should be shooting higher in the morning. There's so many different components to that, but even that afternoon lull that we may get, it could be a result of circadian rhythm uh, distress as well. And so then we're more likely to use stimulants to wind us up through the day. And then maybe some sort of sedative like alcohol or sleeping medication to try to wind us down at nighttime. And all of these things become massive uh, interruptions for that circadian clock, which then is going to affect food choices mm. and behaviors and, and so many things. Mm. What about the gremlin? The gremlin. The you, gremlin. Gremlin. Okay. So gremlin, like, yeah. If you, That's it's how like, I describe it to kids. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually a good analogy because like yeah. in the movie gremlins, you can't feed those little, those little guys uh, past a certain hour because they mm -hmm. turn into those green monsters. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe you should share. <laughs> well, you know, ghrelin is the, the hunger hormone. And when we don't sleep well, when, again, when we don't have enough melatonin, the ghrelin is going to increase. So it's like your inner gremlin kind of wakes up and wants to feed itself mm. a lot. And then that's going to create that cyclical effect of not being able to sleep because now you're digesting at nighttime. And this is going to lower your leptin, which is like your satiating, satiating hormone, yeah. which helps you feel full and satisfied and satiated. So just remembering we don't want to feed the gremlin at nighttime. So really making sure that you stop eating at a certain time. I like that a lot. Yeah. The gremlin ghrelin. Yeah. 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 So good. And then, you know, one, one other component to this uh, discussion with regards to hormones and the stimulus is just appreciating that when we're in that state, that gremlin state, we're, we're more likely going to make, you know, choices that aren't serving us. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be more likely grabbing the snacks and things like that. And really, you know, there's a lot of reasons for why we get stuck here and it could be nutrient deficiencies. You know, maybe we're low on carnitine, that shuttling nutrient uh, that helps to take, you know, fat across the mitochondrial membrane. Uh, maybe not that you would know that, but there's certain nutrients that are very particular for energy transduction, or even the insulin receptor could be compromised. We've heard insulin resistance, leptin res resistance. This is usually driven by toxicity. So essentially the last piece of this whole food addiction puzzle, and obviously there's more components to it, but it's this toxicity driving hormonal resistance mm -hmm. or toxicity driving neurotransmitter depletion or resistance. Mm -hmm. So um, again, that's a topic for another conversation, mm -hmm. but really another piece of this puzzle is really looking at, you know, receptor integrity, cell membrane health, 
uh, mm-hmm. all the things we yeah. discuss. So looking at big picture then with um, food addiction, and if you start to understand that, okay, there's all these different layers and these different elements and a literal change of my biochemistry that needs to be adjusted so that we can step back into that driver's seat again. The thing that we can start to do is seed questions. So the number one question I always seed is, is this going to nourish me? Because it's creating that pause in between you making that decision about a certain food or lack of food. Um, and then the other one is really asking yourself, like, is this the gremlin speaking? Is this like, is this the bacteria? Like which one is speaking to me right now? So this craving that I'm feeling, like, what am I trying to going, like going back to those three questions that Nick was talking about, like, what am I focusing on right now? What have I given, what meaning have I given this experience? And then the last one was, what what am I doing about it? What am I doing about it? So the moment you start questioning, the easier it becomes to lengthen that time between that stimulus, which is a food and that reaction that you're having. So then next time it becomes even easier. So it's going to take practice and it's going to take some reflection and it's going to be challenging. The first thing that happens when we start to change a habit or we go into like unfamiliar areas or the unknown is the brain gets um, activated in a sense where it's like, no, we don't want to go there because it likes familiarity. So you may even go through some grief of like identity loss because mm-hmm. you've identified yourself with that addiction and with that comfort from the food. So another thing that you can start to do is that sense of taste that I'm trying to satisfy so that that can satisfy something else in me, whether it's that comfort or that belonging feeling, what other senses can it activate? So maybe it's, um, you know, the, your vision. So maybe instead of going for food, you, you look outside into nature and you start to really tap into satisfying your sense of vision. Maybe it's touch. So maybe you get some oil and you start massaging your body. So you start to create satiation in a different way rather than through food. You get a hug. Oh, you can, you can hug. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then what would be that? Maybe a sound, maybe sound, music. music. Yeah. yeah. So I think like really looking at those senses, because when we are in that addictive um, cycle, we are always trying to satisfy the taste and then the taste is trying to satisfy the emotion and that meaning. So really, yeah. Transferring that somewhere else where we can also receive that same sense of belonging within. I like that. In the smell too, like you yeah. can use essential oils and yeah. 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 So good. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the conversation, mm-hmm. really. And welcome to, you know, the self-inquiry, self-investigation, becoming a scientist of your life, really paying attention to, you know, what we're mm-hmm. uh, giving meaning to in our lives. And uh, can we course correct so we can start making different actions that support something new to focus on, right? Yeah. 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 So, again, not to be hard on ourselves, right? It's all about self-inquiry so that we can then step into that space of knowing thyself even more. And this is an opportunity to grow into something else. Mm-hmm. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, for those of you that want to dive into deeper discussions, we have our Health Ignited tribe. You're welcome to join that, be a part of our membership where we connect more uh, intimately on our weekly or monthly calls, I should say. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's an opportunity to take these conversations in a much more detail mm-hmm. and experience. Yeah. And now yeah. we have a, a woman in leash track as well. So for those of you that want to be in a space where there's more women and we can share stories, we'll also be getting together once a month and having this sense of community and belonging so we can uplift each other. There you go. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, please uh, subscribe to the channel for more and stay tuned.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.